Dark Academia, one book at a time. I'm Sarah Purnell. And I'm Sophie Waters. And today we're talking about Anne Rice's interview with the vampire for our Dark Academia adjacent title. In the late 18th century in New Orleans, the vampire Lestat turns Louis, a wealthy landowner, into a vampire. It is from this point that Louis begins telling the story of his life, death and afterlife in a candlelit room in the 1970s. Louis' story takes us across centuries and across continents through trauma and introspection and an immortal trying to uncover the meaning of life. Mm. It's weirdly difficult to summarise. Yeah. Without, like, giving everything away. (laughs) Yeah, it's also one of those books where a lot happens but not a lot happens. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Louis says and thinks a lot of words. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for Louis everything has a lot of thoughts and feelings okay <laughs> he really does but before we get into that um we're just going to give you a few content warnings for interview with the vampire so we have blood death violence slavery colonialism and fire and also our usual spoiler warning we will be talking about all of the ins and outs of interview with the vampire so if you haven't read it or haven't watched the film and wish to go in blind then please come back after you have consumed the story in full (laughs) also it's our obligatory plug for our mailer so if you want to join the mailer (laughs) (laughs) if you would like to sign up to our mailer it is the dark com, where we have exclusives we have giveaways and i think we release a mailer every fortnight correct when the episodes (laughs) go out (laughs) when the episodes of the podcast go out i should clarify is is when the mailer comes out as well so extra bonus content basically nice 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 so why did we choose interview with the vampire for our dark academia adjacent title (laughs) it's a classic (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Ebony's got something to say about it as well. <laughs> she has strong feelings about vampires, apparently. Mm. And okay. also, I just really, really wanted to finally read it. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, shoehorned it into the into the lineup for this month because it's about time, really. I mean, I'm already a big fan of the Vampire Chronicles, so never going to say no to exploring <laughs> one of the books. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I've seen the film. I saw it at university. Um, which is probably really late to watch the film, um, but I hadn't haven't watched it since, so it felt oh. like I was going in blind to the book, which was quite That's nice. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've watched the film so many times. It's one of the only films where I don't fully cringe at Tom Cruise. In a film. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Tom Cruise. I just I'm not in. It just is. It's his acting style. I'm not not really into it, but I think. The stat is such a different character for him. Mm. Yeah, I like it. Fair enough. We also have the whole like gothic, tortured character thing kind of fits quite nicely into Dark Academia, which is, and it runs adjacent to Dark Academia, which is why we picked it as our Dark Academia adjacent title. And if you want more info on what um, we mean by Dark Academia adjacent, and even if you want more info on what we mean by Dark Academia, you can go back to our introduction to Dark Academia episode, which gives you the rundown of how we kind of do this podcast and what our criteria and all the rules are around our terminology. I think that's all the admin, isn't it? I think so. Admin sorted. Beautiful. Let's go. Hmm. So, as usual, we will um, talk through our tropes as we established last time. They are tropes of dark academia, (laughs) starting with a higher education setting, often on campus or usually elite or exclusive in some way. So this is a very quick no. (laughs) No. There is no higher education or any education really at all. No. I mean, no. I mean, Louis is very studious. He's very bookish. He is. That's true. He has obviously had an education. Um, yeah. But it's not it's not the main impetus. It's not like 
he's studying at university or is involved in academia in any way, really. No, not at all. I think as well, like, it's almost like the lack of education in his new vampire nature pretty much drives a lot of the novel. So it kind it of does. opposes that trope. Yeah, and it also, also, many of the characters just don't have a clue what they're doing. Like, Lestat <laughs> likes to pretend like he knows what he's doing, but he knows nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that is a definite theme, actually. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the frustration at the lack of knowledge by everyone. Yeah, everyone's just flying by the seat of their pants and hoping mm. it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think for, you know, the first time in a really long time, we don't have much in the way of old Gothic architecture. Especially for the first portion of the novel. No. Because we're I set think, in New Orleans. Yeah. It does have a... It has a... It still has that gothic-y vibe to oh, the buildings and to the atmosphere and to... But the actual architecture itself, obviously, is colonial, a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, especially um, the sections in New Orleans. I think they yeah. get a bit more gothic-y in Paris, don't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because we're in that right time period by the time we get to Paris. Yes. So that kind of kind of grows into the gothic. <laughs> Whereas the vibe is definitely there throughout. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I feel like we're going to whip through some of these uh, tropes quite fast, but... Because they just, most of them, I <laughs> don't really fit with this, but that happens <laughs> with an adjacent title. Yeah. <laughs> Still got plenty of other stuff that we can talk about with this Oh, book. yes, definitely. <laughs> so... A preoccupation with classical studies, i.e. Latin, Greek, literature or philosophy. Nope. (laughs) I think the major preoccupations are that search for um, knowledge about themselves that Claudia and Louis are looking for. Yeah. It's that search for knowledge. I guess that's kind of that obsessive drive, isn't it? Yes, definitely. And I know, I know because obviously I've read all of them that there is kind of this overarching um, theme of search of theology and mm. where that fits with them. And you know, does God exist? Does the devil exist? That kind of yeah. Thing. There's there's lots of discussion discussions about good and evil as well, isn't there? Yeah. That that is a that is a classical. That is a. You know, <laughs> for the whole of history, that is a yeah, a preoccupation for humanity in general. But there isn't a focus on a particular subject. No, per se. No, no, definitely not. There is a lot of murder, though. <laughs> there is a <laughs> heck of a lot of murder. You can't really get away from the murder. I think I was thinking about this the other day. I was like. Does it does it count as turning someone into a vampire against their will? That that must technically be murder, mustn't it? Really, well, their because, body does die. Yeah, yeah and that their human existence has ended. I mean, Louis sort of consented, but how far can you consent to something that you don't know? Exactly, you, don't, you can't understand. Yeah. Whereas Claudia, however, that's I mean, a, that's yeah, that oh, Claudia. The whole existence of Claudia is a can of worms, to be honest. I hate it. I hate it. I'd forgotten about her from watching the film so long ago. And I just hated every second of it. It it made me so uncomfortable. She's a big section of the book, though, isn't she? Yeah. I forgot quite how much was kind of uh, preoccupied with the subject of Claudia. Mm. Um. I mean, it's interesting, but a lot of it and the way... I mean, we can talk about this later, but the way yeah. that she's talked about is a little bit icky. Oh, it gives me such an <laughs> ick. I wasn't <laughs> expecting it, I don't think. I think as well, so because a lot me. of it's from Louis, and you kind of forget that even though Louis is a sympathetic character, he's still... He's still a predator. A, a, a predator, <laughs> yeah. In several meanings of yeah. the word it's yeah. just 
gave me a real ick and I, I kind of like it's like why haven't why hasn't this been like a part of like general literary conversation because you know stuff like that if you're in the book world is generally there and you're generally exposed to it aren't you yeah. like those kinds of criticisms and discussions and I was like I've never heard that this is a thing in this book how <laughs> you know we definitely talk about Claudia in a bit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have a lot to say about yeah. Claudia. She's also probably the person that commits the most obvious, brutal, on-page murder. Even if it's not like a final murder. <laughs> in the moment, it's a murder, you know? True, yes. When she kills Lestat. Kills in, um, yeah. <laughs> quote marks. <laughs> it's very much her intention to kill Lestat, Um yeah, because I suppose there is that kind of almost like romanticizing of murder that Lestat takes part in. Yeah. Like he's very flamboyant with it and makes it almost like a show. Yes. It's um, like his God given right as a vampire or yeah. devil given right, however he chooses to see that. Yeah, and there's something quite. It, I mean, murder's murder, but I mean, it's still. <laughs> The way he goes about it is still quite. I don't want poetic's not the right word, but it's like it's choreographed, isn't it? Yeah. There's a finesse to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an art whereas, form for him. Yeah, an expression. With Claudia, it, it's very like base, um, kind of wild, I guess, isn't it? Like a yeah, is it's kind of fueled by re- revenge and rage yes. and that child because she is a child like her her body is a child um yeah. and it's that childlike kind of well someone did bad things to me so everyone deserves to be treated badly in in return yeah yeah and she, it is her that kind of most of the murder surrounds on page hmm. for sure and I, I i just had a thought going back to the preoccupation and like with the the searching for vampire knowledge it's this is one of the few vampire novels i think where the mythology of the vampire and the kind of what kind of vampire is this isn't part of the conversation yeah do you know what i mean yeah because in so many books when you start reading a vampire novel you're like oh what are these vampires going to be like what kind of classic elements are they going to take and what are they going to change and add and there's not really any of that because they don't know themselves (laughs) no and it's also it it's one of the it's a modern first if that makes sense so like obviously it was released in the 70s 1976 i think yeah so it's still very much like a trailblazer in that yeah. in that sense. Yeah, it definitely is. And that I think that's why I was kind of expecting like a lot of traditional vampire lore. Yeah. Cuz I see like they can't go out in the sunlight, they sleep in coffins, that's all very classic. But their heartbeats? Yeah. Which I found interesting. Uh they're very cold and very pale, which is fairly standard but there wasn't really much else other there was um having to feed every day that's unusual yeah we didn't really get much of the law and i I feel like i missed that quite a lot actually Hmm. because that that is something i enjoy in vampire fiction anyway i just skipped back sorry had a thought (laughs) had to share (laughs) so our next trope of dark academia is a dark moody and or haunting vibe we've kind of already covered that but yeah it's a big all caps yes <laughs> i mean and a big part of that is hearing the story from louis because he is dark moody and haunting all in one yeah and brooding i would add to that <laughs> <laughs> he's very wordy he's very introspective soft boy yeah he's also a bit whingy <laughs> yeah. I, I have to admit I did struggle being in his head sometimes 
because as you said he just has a lot of feelings mm. for someone who declares like you know at the end of the novel well towards the end of that he doesn't have any feelings anymore he still has a lot of feelings yeah um yeah i did i did actually find i know this is something i've spoken to you about i quite struggled with the pace of this novel it's not particularly long and it took me such a long time to read because it's so wordy and it's so dense and say it's so it is very dense there's not a lot of breaks in the page it's no quite solid and there's not a huge amount of action either really it's mostly thoughts and conversations yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I did, I did find that a struggle sometimes i do have to say i uh definitely prefer lestat being the um protagonist yeah, I, other books. Fair enough. He's the next one, isn't he? The Vampire Lestat. That's the yeah. next book. Yeah. So Sarah asked me if I was going to continue with the Vampire Chronicles. And I think I upset her when I said I didn't think I would. And so she proceeded to talk me into trying the Vampire Lestat at least. Mm. <laughs> so I think I will do that. Because he is a really interesting character. He's a great character. Yeah, he's... I, I forgot th- quite how much of a brat he is, but he is also <laughs> such a great character. <laughs> That's a great way to describe most of the characters, actually. They're all pretty bratty. bratty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for, for like terrifying immortal creatures, they are massive brats, <laughs> <laughs> which is quite funny. And it kind of makes it interesting when we come into hero worship of a particular figure or author as well. Yes. Because there's no one... That's well, apart from maybe Armand. Is that Armand? Armand? Yeah. I don't know. Armand. Armand. Yeah. He's kind of like, possibly like, of the whole novel, he's the one that aspires the most worship, isn't he, really? Yeah. Because I think it doesn't take very long for Louis and Claudia to realise that they hate Lestat. <laughs> Yeah, because at first they even both of them kind of recognised that they were in some kind of like infatuated, mm. um, a thrall basically. Yeah, and then they kind of figure out that he's not really that much different to them. Yeah, and they become and frustrated doesn't... and angry at him as well. Yeah, I mean he is a little bit frustrating to be around. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Claudia's actions are not unfounded. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> basically <laughs> yeah but i think for me armand had the most classic master vampire air about him you know yeah and it's interesting because obviously i've read his book and right it takes him a long time to get there does it okay yeah and also what's interesting, so this is, again, this is an aside, but the film version of Armand... Oh, I didn't know <laughs> there was a film. way, way, way off. No, as in, like, Armand in... in oh, Vampire. I see. Okay, yeah. He is miles away <laughs> from what he's supposed to look like in the book. Really? I've got to look at this. Because I, I, my memory of that film is just fairly non-existent. So can, what, what does Armand look like in your head from the book? Very kind of like dashing, like a traditional dark brooding hero vampire type look. Okay. What about you? Well, <laughs> I think in the book he gets changed at like barely, a barely legal age. Oh. He's quite short. He's got curly Botticelli style ginger hair. Still very dashing, like he's very charming and alluring, but he is another one of those ones that's borderline child. I clearly skipped over that and just replaced <laughs> him with my own idea then. Well, I mean, it's it comes back to that question of like, how do you how do you age? Like what does age mean? Because you know, and what what how much does age inform you as a person because yeah. obviously they they live forever potentially mm. but 
you know, he's always going to look the way he looked, the same as Claudia is always going to look yeah. the way she looked too. But he definitely doesn't look like um, Antonio Banderas from the film. <laughs> no, no, I, I've just Googled. And no, I, I agree. He doesn't look like Antonio Banderas <laughs> to me. It's interesting how I just like skated over that. I clearly had my fill of like uncomfortable child vampires with <laughs> I mean, Claudia and went, no. I haven't fact-checked that, but I'm I'm sure <laughs> there is a long part of uh, Armand's book where he is a literal child. Oh, okay. He's like 15 or something. Okay, so the okay. wiki page says a beautiful adolescent boy. There we go. Five, six with curly auburn hair, yep. large brown eyes and slender fingers. Mm. Yeah, compared to Cupid <laughs> or a Botticelli angel. Yep. Yeah, so that's that's completely not how I pictured him at all. And I think we definitely have to uh, talk about this whole child thing because it's it's not okay. No, I mean, I think for Armand's case, it was more in the time of when it was like that Greek thing of... Right. I mean, it wasn't in Greek time, but it was a similar kind of vibe, you know? It was like a rite of passage to be... Yeah. Groomed by an older man, basically. That doesn't make it okay, but it is the historical setting. Whereas Claudia, hmm, hmm, no, uh, no, not in the Renaissance anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's uncomfortable. Ugh. We'll come back to that in a minute. We'll, we'll circle <laughs> back to uh, predatory behaviour. Um, instead, well, for now, we've got old money, which will collide with new money or no money. And I guess so. In a roundabout way. Although, rather than our protagonist, who has, like, no money mm. or new money, um, he's got all the money and the stat <laughs> wants has. it. Yeah. And that's literally the only reason Louis becomes a vampire. <laughs> I think also... I think it, it's a mixture of obviously the money, but also I think Lestat recognised the ability to be able to control him, at least for a little bit. Yeah, that's definitely true. He's very influential. He's very lonely, isn't he? Yeah. Kind of beleaguered almost by his position in life already. Yeah. Yeah, but I think once... I, there is a thread as well of like the the pull of money throughout, isn't there? Because... Louis is funding Claudia and Lestat just throwing his money at everything. And yeah. he feels guilty or, I guess, responsible for them. So he just lets them do it. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly, that money just never seems to wane. Well, they're constantly thieving it off the people that they feed upon, don't they? Whether that's you know, a piece of jewellery from someone yeah. or deeds to a property from someone that they've just sucked dry, so... <laughs> I guess it would be the deeds, wouldn't it? That kind yeah. Of really... Yeah. It's, it's an interesting look at money compared to what we normally see in dark academia. Yeah, and it's also interesting how Louis, with all his thoughts and feelings, doesn't seem to have a single quibble about thieving all this money this wealth <laughs> do you know what i mean like yeah. for someone who has such a moral compass or claims to have such a moral compass mm -hmm. doesn't seem to be that bothered i mean he does also keep slaves so uh, that true. you've got to be like that's mm, true. how how much moral moral morality is the word i was looking for there i think he's got a very selfish morality so if it affects him directly like he has to actually commit the crime himself right oh no yeah. no no that's <laughs> not okay yeah. if other people are doing it it's fine yeah or if it's the social norm yeah even if that's wrong yeah he's a complicated old boy <laughs> mm. i mean yeah. aren't they all so finally, we have weather as a literary device. And, I mean, it all takes place at night because, you know, one of the few bits of vampire lore that we know is that they can't go out in the day. And they just kind of automatically fall into a sleep, don't they? Yeah. So we're very limited on the weather that we see. 
but yeah, I, I don't think it. I don't. On. I don't think it really has anything the same kind of it. No, there isn't any weather really. No, I guess it's just that existing in darkness all the time just adds to the atmosphere, doesn't it? So yeah. we almost don't really need it because the the darkness does it does it for the weather. It's got mm. that covered. Yeah. Then finally, we've got underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist is portrayed as an outsider. I would say yes on both parts. Yeah. I think for Louie, both before and after, Mm -hmm. has the social skills of a fruit fly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's just read the room a little bit, Louie. (laughs) So when yeah. they go back to to what is she called Babette? Is that what she was called? What was she called? I know who you mean. The the she lived up the up the river and they ran away and yeah. sought refuge there. And he was like, "This will be fine." <laughs> <laughs> and then he's shocked when she comes at them like he's like mm, maybe with not. fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I can't think. I think it's Babette. I want to say Babette. I could be way off. I'm going to try and find a character list. Um, Babette. It's something. It definitely begins with a B, doesn't it? Come on, Babette. Why is it just skipping over that bit? Come on, w- Wikipedia. Yeah, this is what she's one of the gaggle of sisters on a nearby plantation. Okay, Not cool. as only as smart as her brother, but far wiser. I mean, I liked Babette. For the, I have for to the say. brief time we, we saw her. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> I didn't fully understand why he continued to be a little bit obsessed with her. Like, her name kept coming up. Do you know what I mean? Like, <sighs> I wonder if it's that kind of like... It's like the last vestiges of his human life, you know? I that suppose, connection yeah. to her and like living alongside her for so long. Um, Maybe? Maybe. I don't know. It's it's sometimes quite difficult to discern Louis' motivations. Yeah. Because he's he just has so many thoughts and so he's <laughs> so quite many feelings. He's he's quite confused sometimes, isn't he? He doesn't always understand his own motivations. No. So yeah, that does make it challenging sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that plays into his underdeveloped social skills. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't really know how to connect well that's all of our tropes we absolutely flew through them didn't we (laughs) (laughs) i guess we can get into the uh the the big juicy topics now yeah so are we gonna shall we talk about claudia and the children aspect and the grossness yeah let's let's talk about that i don't want oh it's just uh, (laughs) like the wording of my note on this. The whole Claudia thing gives me the real ick. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the language used, yeah, isn't it? it and I thought is. I've thought a lot about it. Unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> because it is very predatory, isn't it? And it, yeah. Louis it, I mean obviously we don't see Lestat's kind of in this book, kind of how he sees her. Mm-hmm. But for Lestat it seems to be more of a means to an end he knows that it will keep louis with him and that's his main goal yeah it's punishment isn't it for louis it's yeah um whereas louis the the running narrative that he has about claudia is increasingly disturbing yeah like she especially at the beginning you could almost i say almost you could almost forgive it if it was something that developed over time you know because then she's Mm. technically older technically but the fact that he has these almost like carnal thoughts and desires yeah. about a child mm-hmm. even before he she's been turned yeah and it's it's not really something disturbing. yeah it's also not something that's expressly linked to his vampiric desire it's separate to that isn't it yeah which i think would have been maybe a, a, a more obvious way to put it across and it a less icky way because yeah. then it's just you know just a human being kind of thing but it's i found it really really hard to read and i was shocked by it mm. and it, it doesn't let up either 
It's the entire way through. There's that weird kind of paternalistic but not spin to it sometimes. Yeah, it's like when she expresses that she wants her own coffin and he's absolutely heartbroken by that idea. Yeah. But you think, oh, that could be from a, like I said, from a paternal kind of perspective, but it... (laughs) You know? And then he'll... There'll be like a phrase that will just completely turn that around and he'll be like, nope, that's not, that's not paternal. Nope. And it just... I just don't understand how... This isn't, like, a thing that gets talked about in the book world. Is it just because it was read... read blip, Is it just because it was released 50 years ago, or...? I think, potentially, I don't think it's... It's not necessarily a book that's read a lot by our generation anymore. Maybe. Or even the generation after us, so... Yeah, fair enough. I just... Oh... No. Because <laughs> especially when it's paired with like the kind of one of like the cell notes on, you know, Interview with the Vampires, this sensual novel. And I'm like, mm. no. No. And especially because Claudia takes up such a massive chunk of the book. Yeah. And like, you know, it it could very well just be a comment on male predatory behaviour. Do you know what I mean? Like it could... It, mm. Because... Because Lestat and Louis are these like extreme versions of male, like I don't know, like creatures. I, know what I you guess. Mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it Claudia is it become becomes kind of what patriarch kind of wants these like mm. young young girls, but also who are women. Yeah. So you want them to be young and be childlike, but also have the mind of a woman and also technically, I won't say technically the body, but a body that's ready like a woman, but looks like a child. Yeah. And, also and then, and then she, she embodies that and they don't want it. Yeah. As soon as she regains her voice, they don't like her. Yeah. Cause they want that, like that docility, that kind of, they want them under their control completely. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as she starts advocating for herself, whether whether she does that rightly or wrongly, like, mm. but at least she makes a decision for herself. They both are a bit like, ooh, what's that? Yeah. I think the only thing about that kind of uh, reading is that because we see through Louis' perspective only, there isn't any commentary on that because we're only seeing... That's true. If if it was like a, even if it was just an, an external narrator, if you know the boy was telling the story, who does the interview, you know, there would be that commentary on it. But because Louis feels the way he does, we see it's perfectly fine. There's no questioning that narrative. No. And I think that makes it less palatable. I mean, there is a lot of violence against women. Yeah. Throughout the whole of this book. There is. I mean, a lot of men die, but I feel like when the women are subject to violence, mm-hmm. it's a lot more on page. Oh, yeah. And a lot more, like, uh, grotesque yeah. and a lot more theatrical. And romanticised um, as well. Yeah. As this big, like, it's, <laughs> it's that classic thing of um, violence against women to demonstrate... Oh. Oh dear. <laughs> that classic way of violence against women being a turning point for the man is to show something about them, to make them learn something or realise yes. something, you know? Especially in the theatre de vampires. And also, uh, um, early on, you've got those two women that Lestat brings back to the hotel to kind of make yes. a point to Louis. Yeah. That's he, all they're there for, isn't mm. it? Just to make a point. Yeah. For Louis, not like they have literally no other. They could have. It could have been men. It could mm-hmm. have been men. Could have been anybody. And it, and it would have been the same outcome. But it it seems to always be a woman. Yeah, and even Madeline to some extent. Yeah. She's only in it very briefly, but she's 
sacrificed for selfish reasons, isn't she? And those reasons are yeah. Louis. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a great place on the treatment of women there. No. Which is a very dark academia thing, <laughs> to be quite honest. That's true. <laughs> and also so is, I just want to mention, like, the homoerotic undertones yes. throughout this novel. Specifically between Lestat and Louis and Louis and the boy interviewer, who yeah. doesn't have a name, does he? He, he just gets right called... At the, right at the end? Was it? I thought it was just or called does he? The Boy. Yeah, I'm just not sure if... I think he has actually, a name in the film. Well, he has a name because he appears later, but I can't remember if we actually learn his name. I mean, spoiler alert, his name is Daniel. Okay. Um, <laughs> because we see him later. Okay, so he survives then. Yeah. Okay, cool. I think. <laughs> I know he's called Daniel though, so surely he must. Yeah, I just don't remember him ever being named in this that's all hmm. maybe not i may have missed it i did speed read through the end i'm not gonna lie to you i do like the bit right at the end though where he's like oh make me a vampire then like i think that yeah and then louis just like for god's sakes L- like after everything i've told you <laughs> and this is the conclusion you come to he's like yes I, d- I do like that i do think that is quite powerful actually it's yeah. like it's almost that kind of Louis going, see? No one knows. No one gets it. And also, it's quite... You have to also wonder at the reliability of Louis, what Louis, everything that Louis just said and how he said it, because then he pretty much, like... I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, he almost... Yeah. The way he treats the unknown Daniel, what he does, like, I don't know. There's just something unreliable about it. mm I know what you mean. Just because of how he reacts. Like, he gets really angry and then, you know, I don't know. Daniel is the name of a slave. I'm sure it's Daniel. Maybe I made it up. I've searched the Kindle version and Daniel is coming up as the name of the slave. No one else. No, he is. He is. But I just don't think... Just not in the book. Yeah. Got it. I suppose that's something else we need to talk about as well is the slavery, the racism, the kind of the colonialism of the novel. Yeah. Because, I mean, I knew that broadly going in because I watched this incredible video um, a couple of weeks ago and it's about um, slavery and vampires in the Confederacy in pop culture. So it looks at Jasper from Twilight um Damon from the Vampire Diaries Mm -hmm. um because they are confederate soldiers aren't they yeah and it's like that choice of those writers going well it's okay that they supported this because they're portrayed as a southern gentleman yeah and it also ties in interview with the vampire and discusses the way that that Anne Rice portrays that as well because she doesn't really go down the the southern gentleman route and she does kind of critique that a little bit more gently um yeah. but it's not in the way that it should have been still it's always a bit of a sticky wicket isn't it because um if you have these predominantly white colonial characters ha- like from their perspective who mm-hmm. are raised and then portrayed as living in that time yeah how do you balance kind of being true to that whilst also not completely eradicating or invalidating the voices of the people that suffered? Yeah, exactly. And that's something like this video talks about. I will um, make sure we've popped that link in um, the um, the show notes and the article with the um, all the information for the episode because it's a really... Oh. Br- you don't Sorry. Have any- <laughs> <laughs> Emily just had a drive-by pass the window. Because <laughs> so it's a really interesting video um, looking at how, you know, especially the more modern choices with the Vampire Diaries and Twilight, it just wasn't necessary yeah. um, to have them as that. And the, the kind of the whitewashing and the, and the colonial... I don't quite know what the word is. 
It's almost like glorification, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. By saying, well, they're, they're a gentleman. They didn't want to fight, but they had to fight for, for the good of the South because they believed it was yeah. the right thing, you know, that, that not giving the characters the agency to make up their own minds if they were truly good characters. And they also mention um, Bill from True Blood as well. Yeah. So, yeah, really interesting video. I meant to send that to you weeks ago and I never did. Sorry about that. Because <laughs> it... it... There is, because there's always room to, like, revisit how a character feels about certain moments in history. Like, if you're going to have them live that long, like, surely yeah. they're going to see... And it's not it's not good enough just to be like, well, that was the time. And then go, well, of course they don't believe that now. But no, but we need to see the change. Yeah, and I think that's a real missed opportunity here because Louis is narrating this story in, I assume, the 70s when it's being yeah. written. And he has that, you know, oh, maths, uh, over 200 years yes. of, um, you know, retrospect and knowledge. And he's seen the world change around him. And he has a real opportunity in that narrative. And, and Rice hasn't, I think she almost has had a responsibility to comment on that in the narrative there. Yeah. Especially... With a character like Louis, who feels so deeply, why does he not have guilt and big feelings about that? Yeah, When exactly. it's such a prominent part of the, the beginning of the novel. Definitely. I mean, if, if it was, um, again, I'm not excusing it, but if it was a character like Lestat, you, can, you could almost understand him not readdressing something because he's a brat and an idiot. Yeah, he just wouldn't care. But yeah. Louis... It, it's out of character for him not to care yeah about that and to want to correct those wrongs i think yeah yeah obviously you know we are white we do we have grown up in a colonial country so definitely go and look at you know black creators talking about this specifically this video um she does a really wonderful job mm. um analyzing this yeah, highly recommend. It's a, it's a long watch. It's like a, a proper video essay, but it's brilliant. And I highly recommend it. Especially if you're also fans of, you know, other vampire pop culture. Have you got any other criticisms or interpretations or things you would like to discuss? Um, I think the only other point that I'd written down was that it is quite an interesting... like. The way that the vampire law, even though we don't get that much law, but like mm -hmm. the way the vampires are set within the world, make it quite an interesting exploration of, you know, if you truly believe like Lestat believes in, so from the perspective we have of him in Interview with the Vampire, that like they are the superior, like superior and they're, which of course they are because they're stronger and they're killers and what have you, but... Mm -hmm. It kind of ties back into like the predatory behavior with Claudia and the murder and like even I suppose how they behave around other humans is like what is taboo when you're almost like a god? That's interesting. Like what what does become taboo when you've got no society or other kind of governing body or Mm. even just others like you to say no that's not that's not what we do yeah oh that's really interesting i hadn't thought about that because lestat very much lives in the world of why not yeah and obviously because i can yeah and the way that he sheltered louis and claudia meant for the first you know i think it's about 150 years isn't it yeah it's just them in their own society they make the rules. Yeah. And so, there are rules. Like, Lestat definitely has rules, doesn't he? He, like, he definitely does, yeah. You can't do this, you can't do that, but I can do anything, basically. <laughs> yeah. I am God, basically. Yeah. And I guess that, that, that will shape the way you act when you're released from that society, wouldn't it? Yeah. I think that, that also poses an interesting juxtaposition to the... The vampires we see in like Bulgaria, Transylvania, and Hungary. Yeah. 
when um, Lestat, not not Lestat, when Claudia and Louis go looking for others of their kind. Mm. It's that like animalistic, like they they seem half dead, don't they? They're almost yeah. like zombie vamps. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they, they live in like, a, they don't exist in a society either, but the way that they have lived and adapted is so completely different to how um, Lestat and Louis and Claudia have. And I think that's that's a re- that was a really interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, they almost, like, they were almost as different as, like, in Vampire Academy, which obviously I know came a long, long time oh, after, yeah. but how in Vamp- Vampire Academy you obviously have dampiers and you have vampires, but you also have... Are they called Strigoi? Strigoi and the Maroi. Strigoi, yeah. Yeah. So you have Dampiers who are half vampires. You have Maroi who are like full-blooded, like royal aristocratic vampires. And then you have the Strigoi who are the, you know... It's like in Vampire Diaries when they flip their flip their switch, flip their humanity switch. Yes. That is what Strigoi are in Vampire Academy. Whereas in Interview with the Vampire, all questionable whether the <laughs> vampires there do actually have a morality switch to begin with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. There's always a question of like, like I said, of taboo, but also of like, of souls, of good mm. and evil, like you said. And it, you know, like in, even in Buffy, it's yeah. like the vampires don't have any souls, but then you give give them a soul back and they become like angel. But, you know, even angel as angel was capable of, is capable of terrible things. It's just yeah. only his own conscience that's stopping that. Yeah, he'll just feel guilty about it afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it won't stop him doing it if it means saving someone that he loves or cares about or if if he thinks it's the right thing. So I guess that also depends on that as a, the way he has experienced life in the world and his specific personality that just so happens that mostly what he thinks is right is the moral, is like the morally socially accepted right thing. Yeah. It's It's always really interesting, isn't it? Because like, for some vampire law, that morality switch thing, it's like even when they're in their kind of basic vampire form, like without no holds barred, there is still kind of an element of conscience. Yeah. Like the vampires in Buffy, like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's again, there's a wide range, but the ones that are like supposed to be like true vampires, um, I mean, they do bad things, but, yeah. you know, they also like we'll collect stuffed animals or you know <laughs> there is still like a human element yeah so that must have an influence on their decisions still it's yeah. just that they don't necessarily care if they hurt someone mm. yeah it's like that that innate humanity that regardless of what you become if you have been human you've retained something of that you know yeah i mean louis retained a lot of that a whole lot of it yeah <laughs> whereas Lestat not so much yeah I guess it's the it's the age old nature versus nurture isn't it yeah definitely I mean you definitely get uh, we see a glimpse of uh, Lestat's kind of up, terrible upbringing um, in the beginning because he's got his father with him oh yeah 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 that's and true and you can just tell that's, that's a very um tense kind of mm-hmm. situation and relationship so um you have to wonder how much i'm just pretending like i haven't read any other books you have to wonder <laughs> how much that has influenced him yeah to become the vampire that he is in interview with the vampire yeah but you also because we're looking at it through louis perspective he's just seeing this as the stat being hateful because the hasn't shared you know this relationship mm. with him it's all about perspective isn't it it is it's it's really it's really interesting really because we don't learn we learn literally nothing about Lestat no he's just the villain yeah he, he's a he's black a and white villain, villain among villains <laughs> yeah 
He's a villain's villain. <laughs> that he is. He's such an interesting character. I think Armand is possibly the most developed. Like, we, we know more about him than we know about Lestat. Yeah. Because Armand wants to connect with Louis at first. <laughs> <laughs> they They have a really interesting relationship as well. So many complicated relationships. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any other thoughts or feelings or comments about Interview with a Vampire? No, I don't think so. Okay, so it's time for the question. Are you ready? Hmm. Is it Dark Academia? No. No, it is not. It's a gothic fantasy novel. Yeah. But. A really interesting book to discuss in line with Dark Academia, I think. Yeah. Because the gothic just lends itself nicely, doesn't it? It does, it does. <laughs> we are officially halfway through season four already. Damn. So, would you like to introduce our penultimate episode of season four? And what we will be reading? Yes. So, we will be uh, reading a... Brand new book. Brand spanking new. It only came out in January, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that is Heather Darwin's The Things We Do to Our Friends. Claire arrives at the University of Edinburgh with a secret. This is her chance for a blank slate to find the right people and reinvent herself. And then she meets Tabitha. Tabitha is charismatic, beautiful and intimidatingly wealthy. Soon Claire is sucked into her enigmatic circle of friends and their dizzying world of champagne on rooftops and summers in France. Her new life has begun. Then Tabitha reveals the little project they're working on, a project they need Claire's help with. It's reckless, possibly perilous, and might finally allow Claire to become who she was meant to be. But how much is an extraordinary life worth if others have to pay? An intoxicating feminist page-turner with shades of the secret history and promising young woman, this novel will take you on a journey from Edinburgh's dazzling spires to the dripping staircases and dark alleyways of its underbelly. I am so looking forward to this book. (laughs) One of my most anticipated releases of the year. And I'm ready. Mm. Comparing it to the secret history, though, bold claim. Very bold. (laughs) But claims made. <laughs> and we that, shall see. Yeah, we definitely will. And that is going to be our book for next time. So thank you for listening. We really appreciate you tuning in. And if you would like to sign up to the mailer, you can go to the darkacademicalsbookclub.substack.com. If you're listening and you've enjoyed the episode, we would love it if you could um, subscribe to the podcast wherever you may listen. If you could give it a like, bring um, leave us a review, we would really appreciate it. So, thank you again for listening, and we will speak to you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.